0: You're listening to a podcast produced by the Henry M. Jackson School of International Studies, the Centre for West European Studies, and the EU Centre at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit our website at jsis.washington.edu forward cwes-euc. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Um, Thank you very much for uh, giving me this opportunity uh, to speak here in uh, Seattle. I've had talks in uh, Los Angeles and in San Francisco so far, and I'll be going to Boston tomorrow, so it's kind of a stressful journey. We had a very early flight uh, this morning, but it's a great pleasure uh, to be here, and I hope I will give you an interesting uh, presentation. Uh, two words about me. Uh, I work at the Institute for Contemporary History, Institute für Zeitgeschichte in Munich. Some of you might have heard about it. Uh, its speciality is uh, research on, the, on national socialism. So for example, the, the edition of Hitler's Mein Kampf, a critical edition of Hitler's Mein Kampf, was edited last year in Germany. It was a big discussion, a big discussion, whether it's a good idea to republish this book or whether the book should be banned. So it's kind of um, an established research institution, which was actually founded by the Americans after World War II to have Germany deal with its own past. So this is like the origin, historical origin, of the Institute for Zeitgeschichte. In addition to this, I'm affiliated. I'm a fellow at the Institute for Social Movements at the Ruhr Universität Bochum, which is part of the Ruhrpot in Germany, a completely different area than Munich. uh, factories of steel and coal workers and um, it's completely different uh, university. So if you have any question about uh, Munich or Bochum or the Institute for Zeitgeschichte afterwards, I'm happy to answer them. And I want to thank, before I start my talk, uh, the American Council on Germany for making uh, the event today happen. Uh, I hope you don't mind my German accent. I try to uh, push it down a little bit, but uh, I cannot avoid, uh, avoid it. So what I will do today is uh, talk about uh, the rise of the Alternative for Germany. In German, it's Alternative für Deutschland. It's a right-wing populist party, which uh, is now in the national parliament. And I want to talk about the outcome of the elections happening, which happened in uh, September uh, this year. and. I will focus uh, on the alternative for Germany. I plan to talk about, uh, I plan to talk around uh, 40 minutes maybe, but as an academic I like to talk a little bit longer, but I really uh, want to stick to the time. But you know it from your own professors probably. Um, So... uh, (coughs) Does it work? Yes. Uh, If I give talks in German, I don't have a manuscript, I just talk freely, but giving a talk in a uh, language that is not your own, it's kind of difficult, so I have a manuscript, but I try to talk uh, as freely as possible. I will uh, give a short introduction, then I will talk about the outcome of the election and the current political situation, the current discussion going on about the difficult situation of forming a new government uh, in Germany, then I will talk about the origins of the alternative for Germany, I will point out central aspects of AfD's ideology, and I will conclude and suggest, uh, give several suggestions about what to do about the right wing Populism and this is such a a discussion you probably don't know only uh, about Germany, but this is a current discussion in the U.S. unfortunately as well. So um, the state election in various German Bundesländer, the German states in the last two years have already been a warning sign for a potential shift in the political landscape of Germany. Nevertheless, the election night on September 24th came as a shock for many, including myself. I was watching the election in uh, Leipzig, which is part of Saxony. I don't have a pointer now, but it's in the very east of Germany, in the southeast. So this is Saxony, and Saxony was part of the former GDR, like the former communist uh, system. And Leipzig is a university town in Saxony, and Saxony is the state in which the AfD, the new right-wing populist party, became the biggest party. It actually got more votes than the conservative party, the established conservative party, and the center-left social democrats. So still 25 years after the reunification of Germany, there's still a big difference between East and West. The East German part is in general uh, less prosperous, you have a higher unemployment rate, there are more uh, social and economic problems. And if you talk to people who have grown up in the GDR, they nearly all experienced a biographical break in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall, losing, the, losing their job, like having a face of uncertainty for a, certain, for a period of time many feel that their life achievements are not really appreciated until today. So you still, um, and I'm from the western part of Germany originally from Baden-Württemberg, but I've been living in Leipzig for I think 13 years now, so I know both parts of Germany, and you still hear in a daily talk a certain resentment about what is in German called the besserwessi like the arrogant westerner, the arrogant western Germany coming to the east and knowing everything better. And then you have a Pondor, which is the Yammer like the always complaining Easterner, who is always complaining about the social situation, about the economic situation. And these are the kind of two uh, stereotypes, like the Besserwessi and the younger Aussie. So I experienced the election night in Leipzig. And I will talk about Saxony more, because Saxony is kind of a... Uh, the the, the origin state of The Alternative für Deutschland. The next day after the election I took the train to Munich, which is the capital of Bavaria and this is the city where the Institute for Zeitgeschichte um, is based. It also has a branch in Berlin, but I'm based in Munich. And Munich is completely different than Leipzig. Bavaria... The, um, in general, Bavaria is a very wealthy state, very prosperous, and Munich is one of the most prosperous cities uh, in Germany, with a very low unemployment rate, um, with um, many multinational companies uh, being located in Munich. And uh, on the one hand, Bavaria is very conservative and proud of its tradition. On the other hand, it's a very Munich is a very innovative city. And uh, with, as I said, a lot of multinational companies. And the kind of unofficial state motto of Bavaria is laptop and lederhose, like uh, notebook and leather trousers. And this is a synthesis of uh, these ambivalent, um, of, these ambivalent, uh, of uh, this ambivalence. And uh, Bavaria as I said, is conservative and the CSU, the Christian Social Union, was used to rule with an absolute majority in Bavaria for decades. But what happened in September? The governing party CSU lost more than 10%. It became the strongest party but with less than 40%, which is a shock, considering the Bavarian uh, situation. And the AfD gained nearly 12% in Bavaria. It actually did better than the center of left social democrats, the SPD. And why did I talk about Leipzig and Munich at the beginning? I wanted to make clear that the IFD was successful in all parts of Germany. It was successful in the east and in the west. It was successful in very wealthy areas like Munich and it was successful in less prosperous areas like Leipzig or like uh, Saxony as a state in general. It was successful in the countryside and in the cities. So the election, in my opinion, marks a seismic shift in post-war Germany. It has already changed uh, the political discourse. Let me shortly uh, sum up the outcome of The election. These are the final results of uh, the national election in uh, September 2017, and the leading party, um, the leading party of the former government, the CDU, which is written as uh, Union as Union uh, on the slide, um, it's still the largest party, but it lost. I will go back to this slide, but just to show you the results, the CDU lost more than eight percent of the votes. Um, and the 33% it gained in this election is the worst result ever since the founding of the Federal Republic. So 33% is not really a lot. And the second largest party, and these two parties, the Union and the SPD, are in German called Volksparteien, the two biggest parties, like the People's Parties. And the SPD, the Social Democrats, they were the junior party, uh, the junior partner in the former government, and they now only won 20 percent of the votes. And 20 percent is a plain catastrophe for the Social Democrats. The Social Democrats, the SPD, is the longest existing party in Germany with a very long historic tradition. It was founded in the mid 19th century, and it has a proud tradition of resistance during the Nazi regime, for example. So. 20% is a catastrophe. Then the, um, the yellow party is FDP, Freie, Freie Demokratische Partei. It's a pro-busin, pro-business liberal party. It won more than 10%. It was not in the last Bundestag, because it didn't reach the 5% margin that is necessary to gain seats in the parliament but it's now back in the Bundestag and won nearly, uh, nearly 11%. It, and it's the second party that won in, in this uh, election. Then you have the two, two other small parties, which is the far left, Die Linke, the left party, and the center of left, Green Party. And for the first time, um, here you have the um, members the number of members in the new Bundestag, and for the first time the Bundestag will consist of uh, six parties. You can uh, can also talk about seven parties because the Union, the the black one, um, is divided in two parties. You have the CSU, which is in Bavaria, and you have the CDU, and they form a caucus. I I think caucus is English, term. a Fraktion. Uh, in, in the parliament. So, but actually, you have seven parties in, in uh, the Bundestag right now. And this is the first time since the early 1950s that there are so many parties in the national parliament. If you look at the history of, of uh, Germany, West Germany, in the 1960s, 1970s, you had basically three parties in the Bundestag which were the conservatives, the Christlich Demokratische Union, CDU, you had the SPD, the Social Democrats, and you had the FDP. So you had three parties in the Bundestag, and this was kind of easy to form a government. But now the situation is completely different. It's really hard to negotiate a new government Because the SPD, it it lost, as I said, it only gained around 20%. And on the night of the election, the SPD decided to go into the opposition and not be part of the government again. So now we are left with basically only one option for having a government. And the negotiations are still going on. And the only option left is what is called in the German press the Jamaica coalition. Why Jamaica coalition? Because of the colors of the party forming the coalition. And this is the colors of the flag of Jamaica. And this is the colors of the parties. You have the greens, which are the center-left greens. You have the pro-business FDP, And you have the conservative uh, CDU. So these three very different parties have to find common ground. And it won't be easy. And there's no guarantee for success. And the the article I read in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung uh, uh, yesterday and in yesterday's edition was that there's a high chance for failure. It's not clear that these parties will find common ground. And there are many issues which are left for discussion, especially climate change. Not climate change, I mean everyone in Germany agrees there is climate change, so uh, it's uh, no discussion at all, it's an absurd position to deny climate change. Actually there's one party denying climate change, and this is the AfD. And uh, all other parties, and the question is more how we deal with climate change. So what to do, how we deal with coal, how we deal with uh, the combustion engine, and for example the Greens want to get rid of the combustion engine in 2013 which is kind of an ambitious goal. Uh, the pro-business uh, party doesn't agree. So they have to find a uh, common ground and try to uh, form a coalition, and this won't be easy. And the negotiations are still going on, and you can read about it nearly every day. And so why is this situation so difficult? As I said, because the AfD is now in the Bundestag with uh, nearly 13%. So what exactly is the AfD? What are its origins and what does it stand for? First of, first of all, never before has a new party won that many votes in the Bundestag. Nearly 12%, over 12%, becoming the third largest party in the Bundestag. And here you have the party logo of the Alternative uh, for Germany. And Alternative for Deutschland, Alternative for Germany, refers to um, what Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, and probably the uh, German chancellor in the future as well, uh, she defined her policies always as being without alternative. So my policies are without alternative. And the Alternative for Deutschland said, no, there's an alternative. We, as a right-wing populist, we are a real alternative. So this is the alternative for Germany. And the alternative for Germany, it will have close to 100 parliamentary representatives, which is quite a lot. And there are two events, I would argue, central for understanding uh, the rise of the IFD. And the first one is the euro crisis in 2009, 2010. And the second one is the so-called refugee crisis in 2015, 2016. Let me start with the first one. Following the financial crash in 2007, um, a crisis in the European Union set in, mainly affecting southern Europe, and first of all, Greece, but also uh, countries like Italy. But Greece was affected uh, the most. Greece had huge debts. Uh, The Greek banks were on the verge of collapse, threatening to track um, the whole country and even the whole European Union into the abyss. And there was a big discussion on how to react, how to save the euro euro as a common currency uh, in Europe. And the European Union decided to take countermeasures based on a transnational solidarity, though the member states should help out each other. And the the European Stability Mechanism uh, was founded, which guaranteed the financial solvency of the member states by providing loans. But protest against this policy erupted soon. For example, in Germany, a group of economists issued a manifest calling for the return to the Deutsche Mark, like the currency Germany had before introducing the euro in the early 2000s. Um, And um, this uh, group of uh, economists accused uh, the German government and especially Angela Merkel for wasting hundreds of billions of euros for the lazy countries in South Europe. You have the, the stereotype of you have the hardworking Northerners like the Scandinavia, Germany, Netherlands, etc., and you have the lazy Southern Europeans like Greece, Italy, etc. And you have this discussion going on. And there was one professor for uh, economics at the University of Hamburg, uh, Bernd Lucke. I have a picture of him. I didn't find a, uh, sorry, I didn't find a better one, but uh, that's uh, Bernd Lucke, and he founded the Election Alternative 2013. And this election alternative turned in February 2013 into the Alternative für Deutschland. So the founding members of the Alternative für Deutschland were actually neoliberal economists and conservatives who felt estranged from the CDU. Because Angela Merkel, under the leadership of Angela Merkel, the CDU, the German conservatives, moved to the very center of the political spectrum. Many commentators complained actually about the social democratization of the conservatives. So there's no distinction politically between the center-left and the center-right party. And just to point it out in one example, which is kind of um, hard to explain for a conservative position, in June this year, the majority of conservative members in the German Bundestag voted to make same-sex marriage legal. The conservatives. So, this is kind of how the conservative party in, German, in Germany developed. And this is hard to understand if you look at conservative parties uh, in other countries. So, um, in 2013, the AfD, when it was founded, entered the election campaign for the first time and it nearly managed to gain more than 5%, but it failed and won only 4.7% in the national uh, election. But in the next year, it managed to get into the European Parliament. So it was for the first time in the Parliament in Brussels in 2014. It won nearly 7% in the election. And the same year, in 2014, the AfD won many, uh, it managed to get into three state parliaments in East Germany. In Sachsen Anhalt, etc., etc., and it won uh, in Sachsen, Sachsen Anhalt, and Brandenburg, I think it was. And then there was one event which accelerated this development, like the rise of the AfD, and this was the so called refugee crisis. You've all heard, read, probably uh, talked about it a lot, and it has changed the German society, it has changed Europe, and it's still a big issue. Uh, that has the, the, and the countries have to find a way to deal with it uh, the so called refugee crisis was a turning point in the modern European history and even in a, in a city like Leipzig you see how the daily, how daily life changed after the refugee crisis I can talk about it more later when you are, if you are interested um, in 2015 around 1.2 million refugees arrived in Europe the next year, in 2016, another one million refugees came. So in two years, over two million refugees. Many had fled the civil war in Syria, or uh, fled the desperate situation in Iraq and Afghanistan. Some uh, migrants came from sub-Saharan uh, African uh, countries. But most are Muslim, uh, Muslim refugees from the places I mentioned. It's first of all, Syria. Many. Migrants crossed the Mediterranean Sea in unsafe boats, and there were horrible uh, accidents. Hor- many, many refugees drowned. There were horrible pictures. Um, one picture, um, I uh, haven't uh, included it in my presentation, but it's a Syrian boy, maybe three or four years old, who drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. This was like, th- and there was a big discussion is this Europe? Is this like the moral standard of Europe? How can Europe um, let something like this happen? And uh, the situation worsened. Um, Dramatic uh, uh, situation, and especially in Hungary. The other route the refugees took was the so-called Balkan route, like traveling through Greece and Eastern European countries. And many tried to get to Austria or Germany. And before they got to Austria or Germany, they were in Hungary. And at the height of the crisis in mid-2015, you had tens of thousands of refugees walking on the freeways of Hungary, trying to reach the Austrian or the German border. And the picture below down uh, is a situation at uh, Keleti train station, which is a central train station in Budapest. Uh, Budapest, the capital of Hungary. So you had tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, refugees gathering there, walking the uh, roads uh, in Hungary, trying to reach Germany and uh, Austria. And in this situation, at the height of the crisis, Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, took a historic decision. She decided to open the borders and let the refugees in. So... And some days later, after she took the decision, and we can discuss about whether it was right to take this decision. In my opinion, it was right. It was not right to not discuss it before with the other European nations and try to get it, uh, uh, cooperate more with other European nations. But um, some days later, Merkel issued, said a sentence that deeply divides Germany until today. And she said, wir schaffen das. And this is kind of the German version of yes, we can. Yes, we we, we make it. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to deal with the situation. Wir schaffen das. And this slogan evolved into the expression of a new welcome culture. Uh, in German, Willkommenskultur. And you had people welcoming the refugees at train stations with banners saying uh, refugees welcome. You had hundreds of thousands of People getting involved, church groups, civil society groups, um, helping out uh, the newly arriving refugees, handing out food, handing out toys. Here's another picture at the uh, it's uh, Frankfurt, uh, the train station uh, in Frankfurt, and um, um, yeah, and this is the new German welcome culture, neue deutsche Willkommenskultur. However, a counter reaction set in as well. As you can imagine, a nationalist backlash grew louder and louder. And already since October 2014, a group called Pegida, which is uh, in the English translation something like the Patriotic Europeans against the Islamization of the Occident, patriotischer Europäer gegen die Islamisierung des Abendlandes in German, Um, it organized weekly demonstrations and it started in Dresden. And Dresden is the capital of Saxony. And there are basically no uh, non-ethnic Germans and especially no Muslims in Saxony. But nevertheless, you have these groups like uh, having demonstration against an elite threat of uh, uh, Islamization uh, of Europe. And um, I have a picture of uh, this uh, group you have. um, On your right side, it says uh, this is the banner of Pegida. You can see it on, on the banner below. Um, then the picture down on the um, right side, it says, Sachsen bleibt deutsch, like Saxony stays uh, German. And you had like, um, uh, it says on the slogan, like, this is reserved for Sigmar Gabriel. Sigmar Gabriel was foreign minister uh, at this time. And you had, what is going, like, Gallo? You had like, yeah. Um, yet like threatening death threats uh, to politicians. And the main hate figure was Angela Merkel because she was responsible in the view of Pegida for letting all these non-ethnic Germans uh, into the country. And uh, the establishment was seen as traitors and uh, Pegida harshly criticized parliamentary democracy for being detached from the real will of the people. And in German, it sounds uh, even harsher. It says der Wille des Volkes. It's like this Volkes, this Völkisch. uh, And um, Pegida also dismissed the pro-Western direction of the German foreign policy and um, demanded a rapprochement towards Russia. If you look at, if you Google Pegida demonstration, you see pictures. uh, You have two flags on on, uh, these demonstrations. And this was a German flag and the Russian flag. So Pegida and AFD also is very pro-Russian and anti-American. Um, actually, one leading functionary of AFD termed, uh, uh, was talking about the AFD is Pegida's party. And Pegida, in my opinion, can be interpreted as the vanguard of a growing nationalist wave. And um, Merkel, as I said, was regarded as the main enemy, as the chief traitor who should be jailed. And calling for jailing someone might be familiar to you. <laughs> and uh, this is, for example, one uh, right-wing uh, magazine, a magazine of conspiracy theorists, anti-Semites, and Islam haters, and uh, it's called Compact. And uh, this is kind of an important magazine in, uh, for the right-wing uh, scene in, in Germany. And there you have Merkel behind bars and Merkel uh, quotation uh, uh, um, question mark uh, jail her verhaften. The AfD, the rise of the AfD uh, continued, but you had a in-party fighting going on, and um, the party moved further and further to the right. And it can be said the more um, radical IFT uh, became uh, the more um, influential it was, and vice versa. So, I was talking about that IFT was founded by neoliberal economists like uh, Bernd Lucke but that changed because um, the more, yeah, as I said, the more radical it became, uh, the more uh, influential it got. And two hardcore members of the right wing, I am. Um, uh, And they're both from uh, the East German branch of AfD, Björn Höcke and uh, Andre Poppenburg. They issued a so-called Erfurt Declaration in March 2015. And they denounced multiculturalism, gender mainstreaming, and uh, supposed dictatorship of liberals. And they defined the AfD as, quote, a resistance movement against the further destruction of the sovereignty and identity of Germany. End of quote. The party infighting escalated in mid 2015, and Ber- Bernd Lucke, the former founder, he lost against Frau Kepetri, who became the new face of the AfD. AfD, born in Saxony, holds a PhD in chemistry, and um, she was she criticized Lucke for being too moderate. So she wanted a more right-wing uh, direction uh, of the AfD and a more radical position against refugees. And Bernd Lucke and other moderates left the party. After they founded it in 2013, they left it in 2015. They lost all seats on the boards of the party and they were basically kicked out. They found, uh, founded a new party, but it's completely uh, irrelevant. It's called Alpha, but No one knows about it and will probably just uh, disappear and no one will ever remember there was once a party like this. Um, and The rise of AfD continued, as I said, and it won more and more seats in state legislators, not only in the eastern part of Germany, but in the western part as well. Um, It won in rich states like Baden-Württemberg more than 15%. In East German states, in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which is in the northeast of uh, Germany, it won nearly 30%. And in Saxony now, it it became the biggest party. the number of scandals within the party crew, and um, especially because of connections to far-right groups. And far-right groups, I mean, open, national, uh, neo-Nazistic parties like the NPD and other, the so-called Identitarian Movement, the Identitäre Bewegung, which is a far-right-wing youth group in, in uh, many European countries. And um, just to give you one uh, example for uh, the scandals that AfD has to deal with on a regular basis, in Baden-Württemberg, the south-western, very rich Baden-Württemberg, um, one member, Wolfgang Gedeon, a member of the parliament in Baden-Württemberg, uh, it became public that he had written several anti-Semitic books. And his latest publication titled, quote, Green Communism and the Dictatorship of the Minorities. Yeah, you can title a book like this. Um, he positively positively referred to the protocols of the elders of Zion. And he defined uh, Judaism as the internal enemy and Islam as the external enemy. And he was uh, talking about uh, the Holocaust as a remembrance of the Holocaust as the civil religion of the West. And he demanded a complete change in the remembrance culture of Germany. And what happened? basically nothing. Gedeon was threatened to be kicked out of the party, and shortly um, um, the um, parliamentary group in Baden-Württemberg split, but uh, it came back together, and Gedeon was never actually expelled expelled from the party. He's still a member of the state parliament, and he participates at the national convention of the party. To give you another example, and uh, I think this is even more uh, important, Björn Höcke, the guy uh, I showed you a photo, a picture, he's a representative of the very right wing uh, of the AfD and he gave a speech in Dresden at the youth organization of uh, the AfD and he was referring to the Holocaust memorial in a speech. Quote, we Germans, our folk, our people, are the only people in the world who has planted a monument of disgrace in the heart of the capital. End of quote. Herke called for a fundamental change in the culture of remembrance, and he accused the Western powers, especially the US, of manip- manipulating the German identity since uh, the war. Höcke promised, promised to fight until AfD has won the absolute uh, majority. And what happened after his speech? Basically nothing. He was not expelled from the party. He did not face any consequences and he's still an influential member uh, of the party. The next infighting um, of the party was carried out at a party convention in Cologne in April 2017. And I was telling you that uh, Frau Kepetri kicked out the founding member like Bernd Lucke because he was too moderate in her opinion. What happened in April 2017? Frauke Petri stepped down as AfD's candidate for chancellor because she lost the internal power struggle against two men, Alexander Gauland and uh, Jörn Meuthen, um, who are both now uh, uh, who who lead the party. And um, Petri was kicked out for being too moderate. She didn't agree um, with uh, the line of the party anymore. So Petri... What she did the same as Look at it. She founded a new party called Blaue Wende, Blue Alternative, which will probably uh, be forgotten in uh, a couple of months uh, as well. But this is the fate of Petri symbolizes the AfD general uh, development. At the founding, Petri represented the right wing of the party, demanding a more radical position against refugees. And now, only after two years, She was herself kicked out as being too moderate. So I would argue that AFD's radicalization does not come as a surprise. Extremist right-wing positions were present from the beginning and are part of its ideological foundation. Racists, conspiracy theorists, anti-Semites, and members of the Neue Rechte, the new right, which is probably what you would in the US call the alt-right. It's a Neue Rechte uh, in Germany. were not only tolerated, but shaped the party's direction. Let me now outline some very few central aspects of uh, AfD's ideology, which struck me as the most important. The first one is German identity. AfD regards German identity as being fundamentally threatened from several sides and various enemies. AfD imagines a dominance of liberals indoctrinating schools with multicultural and uh, gender ideology. And Jörn Meuthen, um, the guy on the, from your perspective, the right on the picture, he was talking about the, I quote in German, the versifte linksgrüne 68er Deutschland. It's something like this Kiwi left green Germany of 68. So this is how, in his opinion, the dominance of uh, liberal elites now shape the direction uh, of Germany. The AfD regard the European Union as a threat undermining the sovereignty of Germany. The AfD supporters even call the European Union Union, the EU SSR, like comparing it to the Soviet Union. Like this, uh, um, the EU symbolizes the cosmopolitan elite undermining the traditional values and exploiting the nation states. I think such a perspective on the society as being controlled by an anonymous elite pulling the strings in the background is very closely connected to anti-Semitism. And it's no wonder that one of the hate figures of right-wing groups all over Europe, if you look at Eastern Europe especially, but also an AfD demonstration, is uh, George Soros, like the Jewish philanthropist who finances a lot of liberal institutions and pro-democracy institutions uh, in Eastern Europe, he's like the guy in the background pulling the strings. And you don't have to say he's Jewish. You just have to say George Soros and everyone knows what you're talking about. And this is how this kind of anti-Semitism uh, works. The IFD wants to return to the sovereign nation state and, fu- and rejects a further European integration. So the notion of identity of AfD is based on blood and soil and not on a modern understanding of citizenship. So it's a big discussion, who is ethnic German? Who is allowed to become a German citizen? And the German notion of citizenship, as you might know, was for a long time based on the so-called jus sanguinis, which is a Latin phrase for the uh, um, law of blood. So you can become German when you have German forefathers, when you have German blood, whatever that means. And so, for example, people like emigrating from the former Soviet Union, Union, her forefathers had emigrated 500 years ago, would gain German citizenship immediately, whereas the Turkish guest worker who came to Germany in the 1960s, had worked in the automobile industry, in the car industry, had his third generation uh, children now, did not become German citizen. So this has changed in the late 1990s under the Red Green government, which modified uh, the law of German citizenship. And AfD wants to abolish this and wants to go back to the uh, law of blood. And in my opinion, it's a very reactionary notion of Germanness. And if you want to have this reactionary notion, you need a historical past that you can be proud of. And this is kind of difficult, taking into account German history of the 20th century. (laughs) There are not so many things that Germans can be proud of if you look at uh, the 20th century. So, um, and especially if you... and The (laughs) AfD... does not deny the crimes of the Nazi period or the Holocaust, but it does not want to talk about it anymore. In ifd 's opinion, we, have talked, we Germans have talked enough about it. We want to draw a line and German history is more than just the 12 years of the Nazi period. So, um, One example for this historical revisionism is a speech by Gauland, the other one on the photo, and he was referring to the long German history since the Roman times, the high culture of Goethe, and he claimed the right to be proud of Germany. But what does it mean for him to be proud of Germany? Quote, he wants to be proud of, quote, the deeds of German soldiers in the two world wars, end of quote. And being proud of the deeds of German soldiers in the two World Wars includes being proud of the Wehrmacht, includes of being proud of other Nazi organizations. He didn't mention them by name, but SS people were German soldiers uh, in the Second World War. So in my opinion, it's a break in the modern German history after '45 that a revisionist party uh, calling the Holocaust memorial a disgrace is now in the Bundestag with nearly 100 uh, representatives. The second of uh, three points I want to stress is immigration. The AfD wants to close the borders again and drastically reduce the number of immigrants. It also, and this might sound uh, familiar to to you as well, it wants to initiate mass deportations of refugees who have have already come uh, to Germany. The AfD does not acknowledge that Islam is, in fact, a part of German society. I mean, there are just many Muslim Germans, there are many Turkish immigrants, and uh, many commentators argue that AFD is a strictly Islamophobic party and Islam is its main enemy. I don't agree with this position. i beg to differ on this point. I would argue that AFD is a racist party, first of all. The AFD does not really... They hate refugees because they are non-ethnic Germans and foreigners, they don't hate them because they are Muslims. If the refugees... Uh, came from a Buddhist or a Hinduist nation or whatever, they would hate them anyway. So it's not. I think it's not mainly first of all about Islam, it's about being like non-ethnic uh, Germans. And I would argue that the main enemy in AfD's ideology is humanistic universalism and a pro-Western liberalism. There are also uh, many, many connections to far-right-wing groups I could talk about in the Q&A session, but the last point I I would like to stress before uh, concluding is foreign policy. Because the AfD wants to give a completely new direction in German foreign policy. It uh, It opposes a close transnational cooperation and it wants to put German interests first, like Germany first. Um, And foreign policy should only follow German uh, interests. It rejects the European army and it wants to reduce NATO to a mere defense cooperation without any shared values. It also proclaims a policy of non-intervention into internal affairs. So we don't talk about uh, universal uh, human rights or whatever that have to be defended uh, everywhere, but uh, they want a policy of non-intervention and It wants to restructure the system of alliances and integrate Russia into a common security policy. So I would argue that IFD is not a transatlantic party, but a Eurasian party. And Eurasia is a term that is very relevant, very important for the right wing groups in in Germany. There's one, it's actually a Russian uh, guy, uh, Dugin, he's very closely connected to the Kremlin and here he has formulated the, this vision of Eurasia, like a close cooperation between Europe and uh, Asia, you have this big land mass and of course it's, it's against the US and it's against Western liberalism, it's against uh, America. So um, it's a, not a transatlantic but a Eurasian um, party. So uh, let me conclude with a question, why is AFD so successful? And many people argue that, um, mention insecurity in a globalized world, like people feel a loss of control given the rapid changes uh, within the society. A widespread disappointment with the establishment and frustration over the ruling political class are given as further reasons. And polls show indeed that many people have voted for AfD not because of its program but be, but out of disgust for the elite many commentators regard the AfD as kind of revenge against the policies of Angela Merkel who presented her own decisions as being without alternative many commentators also complained about a very boring election campaign in germany there were no, not many differences between uh, Martin Schulz and Angela Merkel, like uh, the Social Democrat and um, uh, the Chancellor. Like, they, they, um, they agreed in basically all major issues. At least that's what many people thought. And the AfD seemed to have ar- arisen or arose as the only alternative against the overwhelming consensus. And many people argue that as there are right-wing parties and basically all other Euro- European countries, you can look at France, you can look at the Netherlands, you can look at Austria, you can look at Swiss, you have right-wing populism all over Germany, Germany has now kind of adapted to European normality. Germany has become what other European uh, nations have become before. And there's certainly some truth to this point. I mean, many people are disappointed, many people... Uh, hate the elite, etc., yet I would argue the hatred in the campaign against Merkel, who symbolizes the refugee policy, cannot fully explained like this. A group of protesters, for example, followed her to every public event and still do. She's put at, her speeches are regularly disrupted, and this kind of hatred, like a very deep hatred... It's not just articulated by, by people who are disappointed or who don't have a job. So I think the analysis has to go deeper. It has understanding the reasons um, have to has to go deeper. Therefore, I warn against downplaying the election results and the threat, the possible threat posed by AfD to the political climate uh, in Germany. And I would argue Germany is not and will never be any other, like any other European nation because of its history. I mean, it was Germany who started World War II. It was Germans who committed the Holocaust, who committed the crimes in the Nazi uh, regime. And so and this past in Germany is still present. It's remembered. It shaped uh, Europe in the post-war uh, period. And so Germany will never be like other European nations. And last point, I think everyone has to take responsibility for the consequences of his or her decision. So, someone voting for a racist party is responsible for the upswing of racism in society. And there were a lot of attacks against refugee camps in Germany, a lot of like firebomb attacks, arson attacks uh, against refugees. And uh, I think people voting for the AfD are at least partly responsible for it. So the. Really, last point before the Q&A session is uh, what to do. I make some suggestions I would like to discuss with you afterwards. The majority of AfD voters are middle-aged male and men and above average East German. But, or yet, AfD is a nationwide phenomenon. It cannot be reduced to a certain region or a certain socioeconomic group. I think AfD has to be confronted on many levels. It has to be confronted in the Bundestag by other parties. Racism, anti-Semitism, anti-feminism must not be accepted. All legal and parliamentary means have to be used against it. Some conservatives want to close what is in the German discussion called the rechte flanke, the right flank, that was opened by Merkel for pulling the conservative party in the very middle of the political spectrum. I think this is an illusion. And it might actually strengthen AfD further. So making concessions to AfD, talking like AfD, the voters will probably vote for the original. And the original is uh, the AfD and not the conservatives talking like the AfD. And there is some kind of empirical evidence that moving the party further to the right will not help against AfD. I think it makes much more sense to hold up one's belief and stick to its, uh, um, its, um, its uh, belief yeah. and argue for one's conviction. If there's a possible middle ground, and I mean you certainly have an um, uh, opinion about this concerning the situation in the US, if there's a middle ground, one sh- should seek the discussion with people you don't disagree with with AfD supporters, for example. Yet my experience is that their views are often not based on a rational basis, but are based on resentments and ideology, ideological resentments. And many of the AfD supporters I talked to were not open for discussions. So many are ideologues and many of their arguments are plain lies. And then lies should be called lies. I mean, if people lie, they have wrong numbers, they have wrong statistics, They are conspiracy theorists. It's hard to argue with a conspiracy theorist on a rational basis. So um, if right-wing demonstrators uh, take the street, civil society groups, churches, and uh, left-wing groups should express a loud protest and not just accept these right-wing demonstrations. The political landscape in Germany has already shifted. The discourse has shifted. Nevertheless, Germany is, of course, still a, a pluralistic liberal uh, democracy. In fact, is it, it is such a stable democracy as it has never been before historically, if you look at the German history of the 20th century. But this may not be taken for granted, but has to de- be defended. And I would like to have a discussion with you about how to defend it, but uh, I'm open to every question and I look forward uh, to the Q&A session. Thank you very much.